Hey now, this is Getting Over and I am Adam Silverstein here to welcome you to the start of this journey into professional wrestling audio as we aim to fill what I see as a void by covering this wacky mix and sports and entertainment. Well, the way it should be covered in this medium. Whether you are a listener who's been with me for the last few years and followed the development of this podcast on Twitter, or you're a first timer just tuning in, what you will right off the top is that my aim is to provide the absolute best listening experience for you while having a lot of fun doing it. Uh, what you can expect from getting over is two fast-paced episodes of thoughtful wrestling analysis each week. Each show is going to be a mix of deep dives into important subjects, as well as some quick looks at the latest news and developments in the world of pro wrestling. Tuesday's show will recap WWE. It airs just one day after Raw, a couple days after SmackDown. Thursday's show is going to break down AEW Dynamite and NXT just hours after those programs end. Getting Over will also bring you instant reactions to major breaking news and instant analysis of every WWE and AEW pay-per-view just minutes after they go off the air. We're going to pay attention to you guys, the listeners, answering fan questions, discussing topics you bring up. And we're also going to go beyond WWE, NXT, and AEW, covering the biggest moments on the NGPW calendar, along with the rest of the world is pro wrestling, as there's never been more easily accessible at your fingertips. So as we progress through this journey here at Getting Over, you're going to hear improved audio quality, sound drops that you've come to know and love, and refined production. But all of that is going to come in due time. 2020 is obviously just getting started. WrestleMania 36 is right around the corner. So I wanted to strike while the iron was hot, pay off the passion and enthusiasm that you all showed on Twitter. Um, and I mean, some of you even sent me like legit letters in the mail, which was kind of strange, but I still loved it and really appreciated it uh, when I proposed starting this journey. So with that said, uh, you guys as listeners, your support is absolutely crucial here. So please remember to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And wherever you're listening to the show, but particularly if you're doing it on iTunes, keep the audio running while dropping us a five-star review. Let us know what you think of the show. Let us know how excited you are. Absolutely cannot wait to bring this to you. And with that, it is time to welcome in a man who will be, let's call him the primary co-host here at Getting Over. You may know him as a former co-host of The Masked Man Show. You may know him as an accomplished writer in a variety of mediums. Or more recently, you may know him as NBA Outsider Scoop D, but however you know him, his name is Dave Schilling. Dave, absolutely thrilled to have you on this podcast. Hi, thank you. I can't believe you introduced me with my <laughs> parody <laughs> NBA <laughs> reporter persona, but thank you. Uh, I'd also like to add former WWE writer. Well, uh, I, I was going to let you kind of bring that up yourself, for sure. Oh, yeah. well, I just did, so congratulations. <laughs> no, uh, look... If, as an NBA insider, which you are starting to become, it seems, you're one for one as far as I'm concerned. So I don't know what kind of better percentage is better than batting a thousand. Uh, a thousand and one. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, you're going to have uh, a little bit longer to get there. Let's see if you go beyond Chris Paul and maybe execute uh, some type of other acquisition for the Knicks. Maybe a Stefan Marbury coming back to the team. I've, I've already done enough. <laughs> well, what we're going to do in this uh, first, let's call it pilot episode here of Getting Over, is a little bit of a getting to know you. Uh, I think a lot of you listening to the show are familiar with me, um, coming over from State of Combat with Brian Campbell, previously known as In This Corner, basically ran nearly two for three years or three years weekly wrestling podcast. Honestly, I don't think I missed a single episode. 
Dave, certainly many of you are familiar with him long-term from the Masked Man Show. And if you're listening to this for the first time, there's a good chance you've never heard me before. So I kind of wanted to take Dave and I through our wrestling lives and give you all a closer look at how we became wrestling fans, um, our journey as fans uh, when we stopped watching, if we ever did, and kind of where we sit now um, with 2020 being such a massive year in the world of professional wrestling. So I'll kind of start with how... I first got into it, and it's not like the greatest story either, because I was eight or nine years old. I don't particularly remember, but my parents were divorced, and I hated being at my father's house. But I was also a little too old to like just sit watching cartoons all day. That didn't really interest me anymore. So I happened to, at like 10 a.m. one morning, again, this is a long, long time ago, 22 years ago or so, I'm flipping through the channels in my bedroom like trying to figure out how to not go downstairs and like hang out with him and things like that. And I come across WWF superstars. And I vividly remember the first thing I ever saw on my TV screen was Tatanka. And I just fell in love. Maybe it was a distraction, which I think a lot of people do use uh, pro wrestling as escapism from real life. And maybe that's what it was at the time. But I fell in love with it. And it became a weekly part of my habit was, you know, I was when I was home with my mom, I was doing normal things, living life as a kid. But I was at my dad's house every weekend. And I always made sure to waste as much time as I could in my room watching WWF superstars in the morning. So that's how I initially got into it. Uh, It wasn't a family thing. No one I knew really liked wrestling growing up. Dave, kind of how did everything start with you watching wrestling? Uh, My dad was a fan, Uh, not a not a hardcore fan, but someone who was interested in it. And um you know, one day, I don't remember what the day was, um, but we just sat down and watched it, and I sort of was amazed by it. It was also just everywhere on television at the time, and I, I think it's still everywhere on television today. Um, you know, there was Superstars, there was Challenge, there was Primetime Wrestling, mm-hmm. there was Saturday, WCW Saturday Night, there was WCW Main Event, there was Clash of the Champions, there were pay-per-views. It's not like wrestling has become ubiquitous just all of a sudden now there was always too much wrestling on television there was um global championship wrestling or global uh, gwf global wrestling federation on uh espn and espn had the awa so it was always just around all the time and the year that really kind of captured me was 1991 for some reason the sort of the tail end of middle of and tail end of 91 uh SummerSlam. Um, the match made in heaven, the match made in hell was a huge deal for me. Um, I remember begging my parents to order the pay-per-view because I wanted to see Macho Man and Elizabeth get married. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't interested that much in Sergeant Slaughter and Hulk Hogan, though I had obviously, um, been watching during WrestleMania season that year, but it was Macho Man and Elizabeth getting married to the point where I called the hotline to, uh, to listen to the uh, pre-recorded uh, messages that they that they left for people for well wishers of like I'm so <laughs> nervous I'm in the locker room right now and I'm not <laughs> sure what I'm not sure if Randy is as nervous as I am uh, <laughs> and I was I was hoping because you know the part of the advertising was some of you might actually get to talk to Macho or or Elizabeth for real. And I was, you know, fingers crossed, hoping I'd get to talk to Macho Man, but that didn't happen. Um, and then really got hooked at the end of that angle when uh, Jake Roberts and The Undertaker um, came into the reception. 
Right. And then I was like, oh, no, these these evil people are are tr- threatening this this pure, wonderful love. I had no idea Macho and Elizabeth were previously married and divorced and not not really that excited about doing it or the, the angle and stuff. But I was hooked from there. And, you know, then you have Undertaker and Hogan at Survivor Series that year and Undertaker winning the title. And that was shocking going into Ric Flair coming into the company. And it was just, there was a lot going on at that time. And I think a lot of people uh, remember that era of WWF more fondly than, than I think uh, older fans or younger fans understand because it was a down period in the industry in terms of business. WrestleMania eight wasn't by and large successful, right? It was a two match card with uh, a horrendous final match and uh, didn't sell out. So it's it's looked at as kind of a, a a weird transitional period in the company's history, but it was exactly what I was looking for uh, when I was a young kid. It, it hooked me. It was great characters. It was it was well written stories uh, that had great payoffs, and uh, yeah, it was it was a, a wonderful time. And that's why I'm a wrestling fan today. Is ninety one ninety two WWF. It's funny because 91 I missed, but it actually did start for me probably about six months after that WrestleMania in 92. It's when I started watching and Tatanka was introduced on TV. He had that long win. It's so weird that like Tatanka is why I like wrestling, but uh, he had that long winning streak on TV. I think he feuded with like the model Rick Martel over his feathers. There was a whole thing going on. It's really not very clear in my mind um, every single step of the way, but I do remember his undefeated streak. He won a battle royal and WrestleMania 9 was coming up, and he was supposed to face Shawn Michaels for the Intercontinental Championship. And then you also had, I think, Yokozuna and Bret Hart was the main event that year. And I vividly remember, like, being home, and for some reason it was weekend, I was with my mom, and I begged her to let me order the pay-per-view. And she's like, there's no way I'm spending, I don't even know how much it was back then, Just, there's no way I'm spending that, you don't even watch it, because I'd never watched it at her house. Um, she was just doesn't make, like, I'm not going to do it. And I remember learning that Tatanka... I guess maybe the following week on Superstars, learning that Tatanka won the Intercontinental title from Shawn Michaels and then finding out that the whole thing with Brett and Yokozuna and then Hulk Hogan. And so I missed really the golden era of WWF, the Hulk Hogan, the Macho Man, um, just that really that that the part that really made most people fans in the 80s. I was too young and um, into crossing into the 90s. I kind of caught WWF when it was making that transition into the beginning of the next generation era, the new generation era, um, which you can say, well, in retrospect, if I as an adult now started watching it, then I would never watch it because it's, you know, maybe the storylines were okay. Like you said, maybe they did pay some things off. That's true. But the characters were terrible, right? As it turns out, that at that age is what caught me. Just like the way I progressed through the years, the Attitude Era hit me at just the right time. I was a teenager. I, you know, I wasn't necessarily that rebellious, but I think all te- teenagers to some degree are. Um, certainly I cared a lot more about, you know, let's candidly the TNA having Sable on my TV, Austin giving middle fingers and drinking beer, The Rock being a total badass than I did about like work rate and, and quality of matches. Um, but the Attitude Era came along at just the right time for me, Dave. And I was never, ever in my entire life a WCW guy. I think during the Monday Night Wars, it is something that, I certainly watched. Uh, I would flick back and forth. You know, I would 
try to keep up with what was happening with the NWO. But when Hall and Nash went over there, it didn't pull me off of WWF. I was loyal still. I knew the product wasn't as good. I knew my friends were that, that never watched wrestling before were getting into WCW and were really excited about what was, hap- what was happening with the NWO. But it never really phased me. And I'm wondering, considering you got your start with WWF as well, if, if that was the case for you. No, I, WCW took me from the WWF for three years, two years, maybe. Interesting. So, yeah, I, I, I vividly remember the first Nitro. And, uh, you know, famously, there was there was no live raw that night. And so they were they were going on a post. I was like, well, OK, I'm going to give this a shot. I'd always watched WCW. Uh, I watched Saturday night because eventually you just become a wrestling fan. At least, you know, I, I did. And, and, and you obviously have now. But I think everybody eventually is like, OK, I like this one thing, but I'm I'm also going to sample other things. Sure. So because WCW was so readily available and Global was on ESPN, I started watching other wrestling. Uh, and so I was always aware of WCW. I knew the characters. I knew Sting. I knew um, Vader. I knew all of those people. I, I remember watching um, Halloween Havoc, Spin the Wheel, Make the Deal, <laughs> and being <laughs> so so in, engaged in that, too, oddly enough. I, I thought that was cool. Um, but Nitro was so different. I I couldn't believe one that it was live live two it was taking place in a mall three they had like really impressive um almost like like traditional sports level uh, establishing shots of the city like WWF never showed you the outside of the arena it didn't what was happening outside didn't matter what was happening in the real world didn't matter when you turn on a WWF television show at that time. All that mattered was what was happening in the arena. But this was, it, 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 it felt like live sports in a really cool way. Uh, and so I dutifully watched Nitro um, as much as I could when, when Raw came back. But what really got me to be a WCW person was the NWO. As soon as I, as I found out that, that Scott Hall was going to WCW, I had to tune in every week because it was like it was like someone acknowledging reality instead of pretending that <laughs> these right. things th- that there was no other wrestling. Cuz I was starting to get old enough to where I thought, you know, this is obviously on purpose. <laughs> they don't talk about each other. Why do they not talk about each other? Mm-hmm. Grant granted I my first really hardcore year of watching wrestling was the real world's champion, Ric Flair and all of that stuff. But the the thing about that angle is they never said WCW. They didn't say they, 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 uh, you know, they started not showing the belt, all that stuff um, that made that rivalry feel tangible. Mm-hmm. And there was, there was danger. There was uncertainty. There was spontaneity to, to nitro that raw didn't have raw was taped. Yep. Raw was taped most of the time at that point. Uh, the angles and, and the characters were abysmal. The show was bad. I don't think anyone can deny that that show was bad. Oh, yeah. And the ratings tanked because of it. And so watching Nitro just was a better experience. It was a better television program for many years. 
Uh, and so I, I, there were, there were many years of WWF. I just didn't watch. I yeah, didn't, yeah. I wasn't watching during the Montreal screw job. Oh, wow. See, that's interesting because I think for me, it was, you know, I don't want to say, uh, like a Stockholm syndrome type of thing, but I was young, you know? So right after I started, I was starting watching in 92, they debut raw, right? And it's a show I can't necessarily watch because I'm not staying up late, but I'm taping it on a VCR. And I see the one, two, three kid beat Razor Ramon, and it's crazy. And WrestleMania 10 is incredible, and which is the first pay-per-view I ever ordered, by the way. Um, so I'm hooked with these characters, and I don't think I cared much to experience anything outside of it. But similar to you, there was a time period, I think right before Hall and Nash uh, switched and went over to WCW and formed the NWO, where... You know, I had just gotten like a computer and I had AOL and I started going into the AOL wrestling chat rooms because it was something I was interested in. And as I mentioned before, I didn't really have a lot of fans, uh, friends to talk wrestling with. We were all into sports and other things as well, but wrestling was something that was uniquely mine. So I started going in these chat rooms and, and seemingly making friends. You never know at that age. I can't even believe I was in chat rooms at that age, especially when you think about like how things are now. Um, but I started a freaking at like, seriously, like 13 years old, a wrestling newsletter. And it was called Top Rope Newsletter. And I vividly remember like going from kind of just taking things from other people and kind of, you know, crediting them. I think I was decently journalistic at that time to still like understand what's right and what's wrong. But from doing that to like actually getting to know people at local shows and getting a couple sources. And like, it was this weird thing throughout high school where I'm watching WWF and I am watching like ECW was really into ECW big time. But WCW just never did it for me. And I don't know if it was like a tribalism thing because I was a WWF fan and I had waited it out. And maybe I, because I wasn't watching Nitro, so I didn't necessarily understand the difference between WCW and WWF before uh, the, the you know, Hall and Nash went over there and then WWE responded with the Attitude Era. Um, but I, I was always WWF. And then I do remember there was like a, three week or four week period of time where I don't even remember the specific angle, but like WCW got me and they said like, you're not a child anymore. You know what? You should be watching this product instead. And they got me for a month, but I think it was like that one month, like right before Austin started bubbling up. And then once Austin did the 316 and, and won the King of the ring and you saw the momentum change in WWF, when I switched back, it was forever. I mean, it, there was there was no going back to Nitro once you made that switch back to Raw because WWE, and you got to give them credit for it, at least in my opinion, they understood at that time, and it's something that you can say they don't understand now, but they understood what wasn't working. And once they decided to fix it, they went all in in that direction. Um, that won me back. I was also getting older, obviously, as a teenager. And as I said, I was taping like, ECW at midnight on my local like Fox station. Cause I, you know, not cause I couldn't necessarily stay up, but I didn't. Um, but I remember setting a, v a VCR in order to tape ECW. And I started like having collections of ECW tapes, uh, that I would watch with my friends cause it was so freaking insane. And because of that diet of wrestling, WCW was just something I never got into. I never once ordered a WCW pay-per-view. Um, I didn't even really watch any of them. I mean, I had seen matches online certainly over the years, but I don't think I watched a full front-to-back WCW pay-per-view 
until like the WWE Network started. And I was able to go back and watch them all. So that was my like diet of wrestling really as a, a child into my teen years. And then once, you know, 2002 hit, which was my senior year of high school, I stopped watching because I knew I was going to college. I ended up rushing a fraternity and doing that. And I had a ton of fun, but it significantly cut out time for me where I could watch wrestling. And that coincided with WWE buying WCW, um, the invasion angle not really working at the start. And that's kind of where I stopped watching. I missed not necessarily the entire Ruthless Aggression era. It depends how long you think it lasted. But the part that's airing on the network now, 2002 through 2004 or five. I didn't watch any wrestling whatsoever. I'm wondering, did you have any similar type of, not necessarily falling out, but any extended stretch between the Attitude Era and the NWO Era to now where you just completely stopped watching wrestling? Well, well, just to go back a little bit, you know, I obviously I, I, I went back to WWF too. Um, I went right. back um, most, I think it was like full-time going back was probably 99 like going into um, WrestleMania 15 because um, the, the rock uh, was the character that got me back. It wasn't Austin. I liked Austin enough. I, I, you know, I, I got why people liked Austin, but it wasn't appealing to me the way that the rock was appealing to me. Um, his arrogance and, and sort of flashiness. I was, I always liked the flashy cocky heels. I loved, DiBiase, I love Flair, I love Rick Martel, uh, so that got me back. And then I was I was in from then on because '98 was basically the last good year of WCW, and so '98, '99, that was that was the end for me. I think, and it was the end for most people. I still watch Nitro, but it was it was horrible. <laughs> it was so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, 2001, like like for you was was a kind of a crucial year uh wrestlemania 17 was like the end of of that entire era to me it was it was um it felt like a the end of a, of a novel um austin turning heel and joining with with mr mcmahon you can't go back right that. once you once you pull right. the trigger on that stupid stupid angle <laughs> then <laughs> you can't go back it still makes me mad uh, to think about how, how short-sighted and dumb that decision, decision was. Anyway, um, in 2001, you know, I'm, I'm going along for the ride with, with the invasion. It's cool enough, but not as cool as it should have been. Obviously, I, 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 I look back on it less harshly than most people do. I think most people say it's the worst thing WWE ever did. Um, I've been watching long enough to say that's not true. Definitely not, <laughs> there, definitely not true. Yeah. There were, there were some great moments. Austin coming back from the bar and giving everybody in the Alliance a stunner was an amazing moment. If they had just let it happen and let him turn back babyface, maybe they would have saved the whole thing, but they didn't. Um, all of the stuff with Austin and Angle was amazing. Uh, they were so good together. Um, you know, there were a lot of great things about Austin in that period, even though they basically ruined his character for the rest of his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Um, 2002, I'm still in. You know, I, I, I marked out for Jericho finally winning the title for real. 
getting to headline WrestleMania. You can never take that away from him. That was the main event. I know people like to poo-poo that, but that was the last match on the card. That's the main event. Absolutely. The last match on the card is the main event. Um, and, and I was always a Jericho Mark from the WCW era, so it was really great to see him succeed on that level. Uh, and then Hogan and Rock, obviously, was, you know... It, another dream match I never thought I was going to see that was a real dream match. Say what you want about Goldberg and Roman Reigns. That's uh, no one's dreaming about that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, it's a sleep. yeah, I don't lose sleep over <laughs> Goldberg and Roman Reigns wrestling at WrestleMania 36. I don't, uh, but Hogan and rock two legitimate icons. Uh, it was hard to turn off that show at that time because it was so amazing to see Hogan back see the NWO and, and WWE, all that stuff. So WrestleMania 18 is not as fondly remembered as 17, which I still think is the best WWF pay-per-view of all time. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure some people will say Canadian Stampede or something like that. Well, they're wrong. It's, it's WrestleMania 17. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and then 19, I'm still in for WrestleMania 19. Um, I, was, I was a Kurt Angle mark. I was a Brock Lesnar mark. Um, I was, I was really hoping that Brock would, would take as, as the next big thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> so to speak. And it just never worked. A lot of the stuff that was going on at that time didn't work, but I was still watching. Um, it wasn't until I guess 2004, no, 2005 was probably when I was like, I'm done. I was in college. I was still watching here and there and stuff. And I'd watch when I'd go home. But 2005, I moved to San Francisco uh, to finish to finish college because I transferred from one school to another. And uh, once I was in a big city, I didn't have any interest in watching uh, watching wrestling anymore. It was not cool anymore, and I didn't need to watch it because I had a million other things to do. Uh, because I was in a big city that had stuff to do instead of a small town or a college town. Mm-hmm. So wrestling was wrestling was over for me for most of John Cena's run. Yeah. On top. Same. Same. I liked I loved Cena. When Cena was 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 the doctor of thugonomics, I was a big fan. I thought this guy is the next Steve Austin. Um but I missed the transition basically from him being, you know, an attitude era knockoff to what he became. The PG John Cena, right? The, 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 new, I, I, the Marine the, John Cena. Yeah, I saw the, the beginning for Vince, the more yes. modern Hogan. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I saw the beginnings of it. Uh, I saw him win the title for the first time when he beat JBL. You know, I, I we got that WrestleMania, um, but that was the end. WrestleMania 21 was basically like, all right, I think I'm losing interest in this, and then eventually I I lost all interest in it. And to the point where I was like, I think wrestling sucks. <laughs> you know, I became the person who would make fun of my brother for still watching it. Right. And I feel bad <laughs> that I did that because then, of course, I came back. Well, like that's what he did. Yeah, that's what's interesting because I think we align. But we're really just like six months to a year off in terms of um, our, our paths through being professional wrestling fans. Because, like I said, I did stop watching when I was in college. But towards the end of college, which was 0506 for me. So I, I missed Thugonomics, Cena. I missed the Ruthless Aggression Era completely, as I said earlier. I was 
just watching WrestleManias. I used to download the WrestleManias from wherever, uh, via Torrent, I guess it was back then, or, or whatever the case. Um, and I would watch them like in my dorm room because it was mania and you're not going to risk it. You can stop watching wrestling, but you're not really going to miss WrestleMania completely if you're a true fan or if you ever were a true fan. So I would still watch mania, but I didn't really know what was happening outside of the people that were familiar to me. So John Cena, I had no idea who this guy was, but in 0506, uh, we moved into an apartment for my senior year. And I remember the cable guy came and he gave us DVRs for all of our rooms. So as I was setting recordings, I was like, you know what? I'm going to record Raw and SmackDown. Let me see what they're doing. I'll, I don't have to watch it. It'll be on the DVR. I'll watch it whenever. What ended up happening? I watched it, right? Because you can fast forward through the commercials and you can watch a two-hour show or a three-hour show in basically half the time, especially if there's part that you don't really care about. You can get it maybe done in 60 to 75 minutes. So all of a sudden, I'm starting to watch, to watch Raw and SmackDown again. I'm at least knowing what the storylines are. And then I graduate, I move back into my mom's house back in uh, South Florida, and I had to, I worked. I got a job right away, a pretty good job, made a actually pretty decent amount of money. But my job was in Sunrise, Florida. I lived in Boca Raton, Florida. For anyone that knows South Florida, you're talking about, and I'm not comparing traffic, trust me, to LA. I know for you, it's, it's not even a comparison. But you're talking about a good 50-minute drive each way each day. There's not a lot of time there at least Monday through Friday for personal life, maybe Friday happy hour and weekends. But Monday through Friday, you're exhausted from work. I'm just out of college. You know, I'm not loving it, not loving my life, but I have wrestling on my DVR again because my mom had a DVR as well. So all of a sudden, I'm catching back up with wrestling. And yeah, I'm pirating the pay-per-views because I'm not paying for them. And I just get right back into it. Now, it's not the same passion that I had in high school. No question, the Attitude Era brought something out in me. But... It brought that sense of like, oh, yeah, there's this whole other area of entertainment beyond sports, which I love, beyond movies and TV, which I also love. I think you and I are similar in that regard, um, where it's like, oh, yeah, there's this whole other genre. And I've been missing out on this. I felt like I was missing out. And really, since around 2007, I would say, I've watched consistently. Now, you know, I haven't necessarily gotten into analyzing pro wrestling to the level that we will on the show and that I did previously until I got that opportunity. Uh, I certainly was never one of those message board posters. I wasn't on Reddit or any of that, but I did start rewatching wrestling probably about 13 years ago. Um, and it has not stopped since. Is that the case with you as well? Uh, it was not 2007. And I was a message board poster in, in the nineties <laughs> and early two thousands. I was big on, on uh, message boards and stuff. And I, I wrote um, some, some things for some of the, the wrestling sites back then. I think 411 mania was the one that I did most of my writing for at the time. And I was big on that message board, but um, yeah, no, I didn't come back till 2014, 2013. Mm -hmm. So Daniel Bryan was gotcha. what kind of brought me back was people. I hadn't, no, who people I knew who had no interest in wrestling um, were talking about Daniel Bryan. I'm like, what is what is this Daniel Bryan thing? So I tuned in to see that. And uh, WrestleMania 31, I watched. That was the first WrestleMania I had watched in forever. Um, I got the network for for that. I think the network is really what what did it. Mm -hmm. um, is being able to be both nostalgic for my childhood 
but also to be able to catch up on the new new product and see the the, the similarities and differences between the new and the old. And then, um, you know, I started doing the 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 podcast. I, I did one episode of Cheap Heat when I was at mm-hmm. Grantland. And and Bill Simmons was a, a wrestling fan, um, maybe not as as much as I am, but he understands wrestling enough. He subscribes to to the Wrestling Observer newsletter. Sure. And you know when the Ringer started and they needed someone to be the co-host of the Mass Man Show, I was here, and I was watching it again at that point. And then I had always enjoyed talking about wrestling because I was on the message boards in the, during the attitude era. And so I had already kind of established an interest in wrestling as, as an art and wrestling as a creative endeavor. Mm-hmm. And so it was easy to transition into becoming, you know, sort of a, a full t- a part-time wrestling pundit. Yeah. And- that podcast. And that was, it was, it became an obligation <laughs> as much as it was a passion, <laughs> unfortunately. Well, it's similar for me as well because, you know, I, like I said, I was watching and certainly you do develop really strong opinions about what you're watching and you get angry or happy, you know, depending what's happening. But I never really had an outlet to express it. When I got hired by CBS, I actually was initially in the marketing department and um, the guys that I happened to work with in that department really liked wrestling. So all of a sudden we're talking back and forth and the the passion for being opinionated about wrestling kind of started coinciding with the watching it. And I started becoming more passionate about WWE and wrestling in general during that time. And then uh, over at, at CBS Sports, we hired Brian Campbell for our, to be our first combat writer, I think, in website history that we ever really had. And Brian certainly had a massive passion for wrestling. And as he was developing his podcast, I got the opportunity to co-host uh, that with him. And it was not an opportunity I ever expected or anticipated would really happen and at first, it was really rough for me. I, it wasn't something that I was totally comfortable doing. But I think after about six, seven months, um, and I started you know, getting positive feedback from people, and then year two and then year three of that show, which is the State of Combat, still does a great job covering MMA and boxing, uh, it became a massive passion for me. While WWE may be disappointing uh, us, I'll speak for both of us and say us right now, I do think that the world of wrestling is offering so many intriguing options that maybe didn't necessarily exist before, or even if they did, they weren't as accessible. So I am, I'm not going to say I'm more passionate about wrestling than I ever have been. That Attitude Era was a really special time in my life, but the, the concept of, uh, once we stopped doing wrestling shows with State of Combat, just all of a sudden not talking about wrestling on a weekly basis, or only doing it like with one or two people in the office for five or 10 minutes each week, that was not an appealing lifestyle to me. So uh, starting this podcast, getting over, um, you know, speaking, starting to talk to you, the conversation we had about wrestling in general, it really rekindled um, my passion for, you know, hey, I don't just want to do a wrestling podcast. I want to do a wrestling podcast the right way. And I think you, Dave, bring a really unique uh, mindset to it. And, you know, like we said, we, the hope certainly is you're going to co-host as many episodes as possible, but we do both have real life and we don't know what's going to happen week to week, of course. Um, but, but you bring a really unique perspective here as a former WWE writer. And this is something that obviously just recently happened in your life. And we don't necessarily need to go into full detail about uh, your experience there 
on this first episode here. Um, but I am kind of curious when that opportunity existed and you decided to apply for it and then you got it versus how you came out of the experience. How much has your mindset changed about wrestling in general, not just specifically WWE? Well, you know, before I took the job, before I moved to Stanford and, and became a, a writer at, at WWE, which is still a weird thing to, yeah. to wrap my brain around, um, I had started getting into other stuff. You know, I remember the first time I watched New Japan. Because New Japan, you, I didn't tape trade when right. I was a kid. I know I mean, a lot of people, a lot of wrestling fans were tape traders and they would, they would watch Japanese stuff. They'd watch, um, you know, death matches and, and things of that nature. I didn't even have ECW because I lived in California, in Central California. I know LA had ECW. I'm sure the, the Bay Area may or may not have had ECW, but in farm town, uh, in California, there was no ECW. Uh, there was no ECW in Fresno. There's no ECW in Merced. There's no ECW in Bakersfield. This wasn't happening. Uh, so it was a steady diet of WWE and WCW um, for my entire uh, formative wrestling years. I mean, I obviously saw ECW when ECW was um, invading the WWF on Raw and whatnot. Um, but that was it. Uh, and the after mags would kind of give you a taste of like other things. But when I saw Omega and Okada, I was like, this is much better than everything I've been watching <laughs> for the last five years. Why am I still watching WWE? This is incredible. Kenny Omega is on another level of talent. Uh, Okada is is able to outperform and, and, and be more charismatic than people who speak my, my native language. Um, so New Japan hooked me. The, the Bucks hooked me. All of the guys in the elite, you know, the Bullet Club, the whole thing. I was like, this is this is exactly what wrestling should be, and wrestling in America sucks. Um, so at that time, as I was like starting to hate WWE and be really bored with it, the idea of maybe working there became tangible. You know, I I started making friends in the industry, and I started going to the WrestleMania. Um, after party and meeting wrestlers right. and right. meeting former writers and employees and it's like oh i could i could actually do this while i'm also <laughs> hating the product um and so going in i was you know kind of um ambivalent about the product but i was really into becky lynch the whole becky lynch thing got me um as it did a lot of people, a lot of jaded wrestling fans because it was organic and it was real. Um, and then I get the job after finally deciding, you know, I'm, I think my journalism career is over. I don't think I want to be a journalist. I want to be a television writer. And I think the best way to get my first TV writing credit is to take this job because I knew people who could get my resume in front of the right, employees at wwe and that's what happened and after a couple months of interviews and doing um, you know a, a writing packet and all that stuff i got the job and it was surreal to to find out that i was going to be moving to connecticut and i was going to be writing professional wrestling after all of these years of being a fan and so i was i was 
cynical up to the point when they said yes <laughs> we want to bring you in i was very cynical about it i had talked to plenty of people who were like this is the worst job you'll ever take don't do it you're going to be miserable there's only one person who was like yeah man it's going to be awesome you're going to do a great job everyone's going to love you just you know enjoy it everybody else was like don't do this do not go people who'd worked there before said don't take it you will be miserable and they were right <laughs> that group of people was right i was unhappy i was miserable so i came out hating wrestling again the second time in my life i hated wrestling was after getting fired from wwe i couldn't watch it it made me physically ill to think about it um and then eventually i just got over it you know it's like a breakup mm-hmm. you, you can't stand the thought of that person and then eventually you see them at a grocery store or at a bar or something you're like all right it's fine who cares we're both different people now um, unfortunately wwe is the ex that hasn't changed one bit right <laughs> and you still hate them anyway um yeah yeah that was my experience I, I i came out of it far more cynical about the product because i know how the sausage is made i don't i have no illusions about what this is so i think my perspective is unique because I can talk about it as both a fan and as a as a former employee. Yeah, I mean they they always say you know like the old the old saying goes never meet your heroes right. It's also like never work in WWE just because you you there's always that concern about it can't be as good as I've maybe built it up in my head to be right. And even despite like you kind of said the warnings or you know the. Um, concerns you might have going in, ultimately, you always believe in yourself whenever you start a new job. And it doesn't mean WWE anywhere, right? I can change things, right? I can be the catalyst or, or you know, I've been, I've had all these thoughts in my head over all these years, and I know what is necessary. But just because you're put in that position doesn't mean that people are going to listen to you. And I think that is maybe uh, the experience that you had is maybe the best way to sum that up, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, I... I Appreciate certainly you, Dave, being here for uh, this first kind of pilot episode of of Getting Over. I hope everyone that is listening right now got a better understanding of who Dave and I are as professional wrestling fans, our journey uh, from the very beginning all the way to this point. There's plenty more to come uh, over the next days, weeks, months, and hopefully years even uh, from the Getting Over podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You can follow me at Silverstein Adam. You can follow him at Dave Schilling. And Dave, you also have a wrestling newsletter. So why don't you tell the people how they can subscribe to that? Yeah, so Twitter handle is at Dave underscore Schilling. There is a at Dave Schilling that is not me that has gotten a lot of harassment on Twitter. I don't want to ruin his life again. Dave (laughs) underscore Schilling. Okay, I should have known that. Uh, That's the quote-unquote host of the show. Yeah, okay. That's okay. Do your (laughs) research, buddy. Come on. Um, My newsletter... My newsletter is daveschilling.substack.com. Every week I do two columns. Uh, One is a WWE column on Tuesdays that covers NXT from the previous Wednesday. Um, It covers SmackDown uh, from that Friday and then Monday's Raw from the day before. Um, I'm not a huge NXT person. I find the product dull. Um, so when I talk about NXT, it's uh, a special occasion. So if you're a big NXT guy, I get it. I'm sorry. You can yell at me. 
Um, if you want me to watch NXT, pay me $7 a month and I'll watch NXT for you. Uh, I'll watch it with, with very, uh, deep appreciation if you pay me. I know that sounds selfish, <laughs> but guess what? It's a selfish world, buddy. Uh, and then I do an AEW column, um, on Thursdays. You know, I, I miss some weeks. I need, I need to do my AEW column, uh, today. I'm sure there are a lot of people that are upset that it's not done yet, but guess what? I have a real job that pays for my bills. So if you want me to do more, you should pay me and I'll do more. It's that simple kids, but subscribe. You can subscribe for free. You'll get the uh, AEW column every week for free. You have to pay $7 a month for WWE, uh, but you'll get pay-per-views all the pay-per-views. If, if I have the time, and I buy the pay-per-view because AEW <laughs> costs $60. Yes. Pay me and I will do the pay-per-view. Yes. That's that simple. Yeah, that's, I don't that, understand how to explain it any easier than that. that. Pay me and I'll do whatever you want. I'm a whore and I will do anything. I'll be your private dancer if you pay me. I learned nothing from Mean Gene Okerlund how to get people to part with their money, but I did my best. Uh, $60, though, is a... It is cost prohibitive for some people. You do wonder what, what they yeah, would Yeah, come like. on, people. $39.99? You can go $39.99? What's the problem with that? It's, we're, we're paying for Cody's tattoo removal. Uh, we're paying for his entrances, is what we're paying for. Oh, um, boy. Repeat it again. At getting overcast at Silverstein Adam at Dave underscore Schilling. Thank you. All, Thank you. All on Twitter. Five-star reviews on iTunes and wherever you're listening to this show. Again, I appreciate everyone for taking the time uh, to listen to this pilot episode of Getting Over. There's going to be a lot more coming very soon. In fact, by the time you listen to this, there's probably going to be another episode waiting for you as well. So with that, for Dave, this is Adam. Bye for now.